Saddle in. <laughs> and while you are saddling in, if you want to take out those Bibles in the back of the pew, that would be great. Just have them handy. And just as a, as a heads up, I'm going to be looking at Acts chapter 12. That's page 1094. And if you want to put a thumb in the Old Testament, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel today also, which is on page, I think, 927. Uh, or no, excuse me, 273. I was way off. But uh, go ahead and do that, and that way we can save some time when we get to there. Uh, the, uh, you all have memories of your parents growing up. Um, that, let me get specific. Of when, um, did they ever have to wake you up for school? Raise your hand if your parent has ever had to wake you up for school or wake you up for something. Shout it out. How, how did they do that? They yelled? Others? Sang? My mom sang. She'd come in and sing, good morning to you, like that whole thing. Good Lord. Anyone else? A gentle shake. That's nice. Father Abraham was the song? Oh, that is wonderful to wake up to. Uh, yeah. So my dad, kind of in the line of a gentle shake, but not, not quite. The first, the first wake up was the door would swing open and the lights would come on full blast. Boom! Just like that. And if you did not respond to the lights being full blast, then he'd come over and grab your big toe, always the big toe, and begin to shake it. And the shaking would start at your ankle and move all the way up until you were jostled <laughs> awake. <laughs> Such loving memories of the... <laughs> and I think even now, if he had to wake me up now, he probably would do the same thing. And I'd be like, old man, we're going to have words. <laughs> we're going to have words. But in a respectful way because you honor your mother and father. How does God wake us up? How does the Lord wake us up? Or better question, why do we fall asleep on the Lord? Why do we fall asleep on the Lord? Sleeping on God can show up in a variety of ways. It can be ignoring what we've been taught. Just plain, I know what you're saying, God. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Ignorant to the truth that's right in front of us, right before your eyes, because we're too concerned with our own agenda and with what we want to have happen. We fall asleep when we believe a false truth, which is one of the most dangerous things that can happen because in our minds we think we're doing right and yet we could be completely off the mark. Or just blatant avoidance and total disbelief and that I don't need Jesus and I don't need to listen to him. That's a, that's a sleep. That's falling asleep on God. Lights are off. The big toe is tucked away. You can't get to it. Our passage today is going to serve us some wake-up calls, as the choir sang. And sometimes even the staunchest of believers needs the Lord to grab our toe and shake us loose from whatever falsehood we might be holding on to. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 12. And Acts chapter 12, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 19 here real quick and then talk to you about what these two wake-up calls are going to be. But as I approached Acts chapter 12 this week, I was like, I don't know, it's just a story. You know, it's a story that, and sometimes that happens in, in when we go through a book like that. Sometimes you hit a story that's just kind of a transitional piece. And, it's, and if you remember, we just left uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas in Antioch in, you know, the Vegas of the time, and they're doing amazing things there. Then all of a sudden, Luke kind of gives us, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, and to kind of shine a light that in Jerusalem, things aren't so hot either. 
And we get this great story about Peter, and a miracle happens. It's all very wonderful. Yay, Jesus. But, I mean, to really dig into it, there's, you just read it, and that's what happened, right? And so your associate pastor, Pastor Jennifer Cronk, saw me floundering, and she said, well, what about this? And the Lord spoke to her a, a point, and it just opened up the entire text. And so thanks be to God for friends in arms uh, of, of studying the same thing we are. And so we did, there is something here in Acts, some wake-up calls for us. So let's find out what happens. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, hear now the word of the Lord. So about that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw, circle that if you're a writing in your Bible type of person, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And that was during the days of unleavened bread. So there's a, a, a festival kind of thing going on. And when he had seized him, seized Peter, he put Peter in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. And that doesn't mean that he's going to bring Peter out and say, hey, look, I got Peter. We're, have in mind, this is, he's, on, he's a dead man walking. We're on the way to execution. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer, circle that, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church in Jerusalem. Now, when Herod was about to bring Peter out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. So imagine yourself chained on either side to a soldier and Peter's fast asleep, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison, heavily armed. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. Lights, come on. And he struck Peter on the side. I would like to say he took Peter by the big toe and woke him awake, shook him awake, but Luke didn't consult me. Um, so he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And Peter did so. And he said to him, Wrap the cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And Peter did not know what was being done by the angel, if it was real. And he thought he was seeing a vision. So imagine just kind of being woken up, and just kind of doing this re -re 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 kind of thing. And he's not sure if this is a vision, if it's real, what's going on? And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And now we have the first recorded garage door opener. It opened for them of its own accord. Just opened up. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately then the angel left. So Peter, coming to himself, is like, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name is Mark. So that's the gospel writer Mark. Where many were gathered, circle gathered together, and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda, not the one with Mary Tyler Moore, this is a different one, girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she didn't open up the gate but ran and reported to Peter that he's standing there at the gate. So you can imagine Peter like, 
no, 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 <laughs> let me in. Um, and they said to her, the, the, the guys, I'm sure, it was, I'm sure it was the men, the guys are saying to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so that, that Peter was out there. And they said, no, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and, and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said, tell these things to James and to the other brothers. And when he departed, he went to another place. Now when that day came, there was little to no disturbance among the soldiers of what had become. They're all like, oh Lord, or whomever they pray to, Peter is not here. And that's bad news bears for them. Because what's punishable is what's going to happen here. After Herod's search for him didn't find him, he exclaimed that the guard, the sentries, uh, that they needed to be put to death for this indiscretion. And they went down from Judea and Caesarea and spent time there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a story that has happened here. Peter is arrested. James has been killed. And this miracle happens. What are the wake-up calls? What is, where has God shaken our big toe to wake up and realize and I have two for us today. There could be more, but the two I want to focus in on today are this. Worldly human leaders are not God. Let me say that again. Worldly human leaders are not God and they're prone to corruption. And what is the church or the Christian to do about that? The second wake-up call is never abandon God or the peace that he has instilled inside of you. So let's dive in. What do I mean by this? Worldly leaders are not God, and they're prone to corruption. So we start the story off with a, with a Herod. Which Herod is it? Because Herod has been kind of thrown around all through the Gospels and where we're at. It's different people. This Herod in the book of Acts is the grandson of the Herod who starts off the Gospel of Luke, or Matthew, I forget which one, but where he goes and he kills all the, um, all the babies all the babies, because out of fear that this Christ child has been born. He is also the nephew of the Herod that kind of oversaw the whole crucifixion of Christ, all of those events that were going on. And so with this Herod, we have a lineage of hate. We have a generation of hate and fear for this man, Jesus, and his followers, what's been prophesied by him, what he did in his life and his ministry, and now the people who are following him. He does not, obviously he is afraid of what is going on here. And he is going to do anything that he can to maintain and gain power, to not lose what he believes he has grabbed by his own hand. And this is not new. Ancient leaders all over the Bible and in our history books, ancient leaders believed themselves to be gods, little g. And even the people lauded them as so. Pharaoh was thought to be a type of God. Caesar was thought to be a type of God. So you can imagine how that begins to mess with you when you're on that top pedestal of sorts. It's a recipe for disaster and fear when it comes to Christians. Because if you're a leader who needs everyone to follow and believe and trust in you when you're dealing with a people whose core value is you shall have no other gods before me, we are not the best. We need to be kind of corralled and subjugated and leaders will do whatever they can to make that happen. Like I said, it's not un unique. Human leaders will do this back in the Bible times and even today. Human leaders will rob, destroy, scheme, cut down, take away. They will use us for their own order, 
uh, uh, gain and power. It's an addiction. If you ever hear, sometimes you may even hear famous people talk about, and they're not necessarily leaders, though they try to be, uh, you'll hear them talking about how fame is, a, is, is an addiction. That, that, you know, celebrities will sometimes purposely leak bad news so that their name gets in the cycle and so that things happening so that they're still relevant. It's, an, it's a human thing. It's an addiction to have that adoration and that power, and there's a reason for that. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel was in front of the, was in front of, of the Jews, the Israelites, and it came to a time where he was about to be done and they wanted, um, they wanted a leader. And if you go to page uh, 273, you'll see here what I'm going to read. You may have heard this story before. It's a powerful story that is needed for our wake-up call. So the people, they wanted a leader. They wanted to be like other nations. Give us a leader who will judge us and rule over us. Give us power and protection and prestige. And Samuel's upset about that. And he goes to God and he says, these people are awful. And God says to Samuel, you listen to them. They're not going against you. They're going against me. And this is what they always do. So listen to them. Give them what they want. But warn them. Give them a chance. Warn them about what leaders will do. Look at this, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king or leader who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap a harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take, at this, the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take, here it is, a tenth of your grain, of your vineyards, and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, the best of your young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. The king will take what is rightfully God's. That's the message of that passage. The best of a tenth. The leader is going to take what is rightfully God's because he believes himself to be greater than God and that the people, God's chosen people, Israelites here, they discredit Samuel. They're asleep. They're ignorant to the truth right in front of them. And they press on with their plan and agenda. They want to be like other nations. They want the power, the place, and the prestige, which, my friends, is the very thing God promised them. You stick with me. Have no other gods before me. I'll give you a place. I'll make you my people, you will be protected, and you will be provided for. That wasn't good enough. They wanted it on their own accord and to be like all the other nations. Do we see a theme at work here with humanity? We want to be like God, and we want to tell God what to do. And sometimes we put our faith in wrong people. See, Herod's trying to maintain favor of the Jews. It's a big people group. It's a people that he represents. And he's only in power because a Roman person put him there. So he takes on their cause of silencing this new Christian movement. And I don't think that he could, I don't think he could care less, really. 
I think he just wants the favor of the people. And so we see he kills James, right? James is a very important kill. Do we know who James is? Not the writer of James in the book in the Bible. That's the brother of Jesus, also one of the people there. But this is James of the inner circle of Jesus. The three people that were with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. He's a big deal. And he is violently, publicly killed. And it says that, that Herod sees that this is pleasing to everybody. And that word see means to discern. There's several words for seeing in Greek. This one means to discern. Which is odd because we use it when, we're, when we want to see and discern the good things that God is doing. Here it's being used with Herod who is seeing with an evil spirit. And discerning the evil things and carrying them out. He sees that he's gotten favor from this. And so he goes after the real big fish. He goes after Peter and he arrests him. Puts Peter in a jail cell. Why doesn't he kill Peter right there and then? He's got him. Because he wants the favor of the people. What better way than to knock off the second person in charge other than Jesus than to do it publicly where everyone can see? And so he puts him in that jail cell, heavily guarded because he's going to parade him out and take down the number two, Peter, the apostle of apostles. See here also a comparison between the jail cell that Peter is in that is heavily guarded. He's chained to two people and the tomb of Christ. The tomb of Christ was also heavily guarded. And then what happens? God raises Jesus from the dead. Lights come on and, and out he walks. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, then an angel coming to get Peter out of jail is within the realm of possibilities. Oops, Herod, Herod didn't think about that, did he? Whoopsie daisies, don't underestimate the Lord. Again, human leaders are not God. This is what we need to wake up to. We see this in our world today and how it is played out. We often put our faith or we marry gospel truths with our politicians and people in charge. And I have to say, we need to wake up to that a second. I have to say, and, I, and it may make some folks mad, they don't have our best interest at heart most often. They want to be in power and they want to stay in power. And we as Christians are a big people group and a big voting group. And so we may be told and said things of, well, things that will run along in our gospel. And we may vote our conscience on that and that's all fine. But be careful. Do not place your hope. Do not place your peace in that person. Because human leaders, as they get higher and higher and not give credit to the Lord, will come toppling down. Brings me to my second, I'm moving right along. There's more here, we can talk later. Brings me to my second point here. Never abandon the Lord. That is what we can do about this. Never abandon God. Look what happens to, uh, so Peter gets arrested. He gets thrown into jail. James is dead. Stephen's been martyred already. And the church has scattered. And you have this, this remnant of a church in Israel. What do they do? They go into their homes and they pray fervently. It says here they assemble together. That's what means gather together. They call an assembly like the Avengers. Avengers assemble. They come together and they pray fervently, which means with such strength 
that it stretched out to its fullest potential, unwavering prayer made for Peter. They do the very best thing that when all actions seem futile, the church gets together and it prays, and it prays for the Lord's will to be done, whatever that may be. And at the same time, Peter's in the jail cell, and where do we find Peter? What's his mind? What's his state of mind? What's he doing in jail? He's sleeping. Not sleeping in the bad sense, sleeping in the very good sense. Have you ever heard about foster children when they have been abused and have had severe trauma, and they come to a foster house, and they begin to trust that parent, that foster parent, one of the first things that they are able to do is sleep soundly because they can finally just rest and trust in the protection and the provision of that parent. That's what Peter's doing. He knows he's dead man walking. He understands that. He saw James die. Now it's coming to the apostles. We are not exempt. Oh, no. And I'm sure the teachings of Jesus are flooding over him where Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted. This is, you're going to need to lay down your life for this mission. And Peter's completely at peace with that, asleep. Asleep so soundly that an angel has to take his big toe and wake him up. It actually says he strikes Peter, strikes him. And that word strike can mean two things. It can mean gently nudge, or it can mean strike down dead. May we all have a posture like Peter where an angel will gently nudge us <laughs> and not strike us down dead. Never abandon the Lord. Keep with the Lord and the peace will rush over you just like as we see Peter fast asleep, trusting in full trust of what God is going to do. He knows he's going to die, but to die is gain for the apostles. They understand that. In fact, Tim Keller, who just passed on, a famous quote that's attributed to him says this, All death can do to the Christian is make their life infinitely better. And that's where Peter's hope is. That's where his peace is. Do we have that kind of faith as a church? Do we pray so fervently without doubting for God's will to be done, come what may? Do you do that as a person? It's a great wake-up call to understand that when the world is all going crazy and when a leader is doing things that are out of our control, the best thing that we can do sometimes is to fervently pray and trust in God. And it's funny because the church, Peter goes to this church where they're gathered and praying, and what happens? They don't believe what they prayed for came true. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just, oh, Oh, my friends, we as humans, sometimes we're a little dim-witted. But uh, they prayed so, so hard and did not trust that God could do the very thing that happened to bring Peter out, and yet that's what happened. They didn't abandon the Lord. They prayed, with, prayed for him fervently, come what may. The two realizations I leave with you this morning is we are in a world that wants to use us as Christians and use it in a way for political and leadership gain. And sometimes the values that we hold dear are important. I'm not saying that. I am saying be careful where you put your hope in because a leader will disappoint you if unchecked. The way we govern our church, Pastor Jennifer and I, we have one voice and one vote on session with 12 other people so that we can't strong arm the church and go with the way that we want it to go. 
You may have heard of churches before where that has happened, where a pastor is the sole leader and takes them for a ride. And when you heap upon adoration and praise, that can easily become something that becomes an idol for the leader. So thanks be to God, we have 12 elders in this room or in this church that can look at me and say, you're crazy, please stop, right? Don't put your trust in a worldly leader. They will take what is rightfully God's. And the second wake up for us all is don't abandon the Lord. We can't control who takes leadership. That's not us to control. We can vote and do those things, sure. But we can't control the outcome. And so what we can do, the best thing that we can do as a church, other than boldly witnessing for the Lord, is to never stop praying and to pray for God's will to be done whether that be death, whether that be life, whatever it is, we are at peace and can sleep and rest peacefully in the Lord. The last thing that happens, and I'll leave you with this, what happens to Herod? You remember that strike from the angel that wakes Peter up, a little gentle nudge? So Herod then goes to, into the towns of Tyre and Sidon, I believe, and um, he's upset with them, and, and they beseech him to have mercy, and he, he puts himself up on a pedestal, puts on his royal robes, takes his seat on the throne, and begins to give orations. And the people are like, yes, the voice of God, not of man. And they laud him as a god. And Herod's like, oh, yes, thank you, thank you, and keeps it coming. Here comes an angel again. <laughs> Herod underestimates the Lord again. And the angel comes immediately, it says, and strikes him down. Not the gentle kind. Strikes him down because he did not give God the glory. And graphically, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And the Lord wants to make a point. Um, he makes it. <laughs> so, yes. But the hope, verse 24... The word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. People will try to silence the way, and they may be successful in regions, but not across the world. The word of God will increase and multiply until Jesus comes again. Wake up, O oh sleepers. Wake up, church, and never abandon the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you again for this truth, this simple truth, and how easy it is for us to place our hope and our trust in people other than you. Lord, raise our eyes higher than what we think that we need to do. Raise our eyes higher than the thrones and the kingdoms of man that we see the kingdom of heaven in everything, and that we would strive to be there and live that out in this world, whoever is leading it. May we never lose hope in you, Lord Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and may we never abandon your side. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.